0: Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh.
1: The world's definition of peace is my bills are paid, I'm enjoying my job, my kids are behaving, my teeth are all straight, fill in the blank. Whatever it is that you can think of, that is the world's conception of peace, right? What's the obvious problem with that? It never happens.
0: Imagine a garden that received the perfect amount of sunlight, perfect amount of water, and had the perfect growing environment. In a word, it's perfect. Of course, in this world, there's no such thing as a perfect garden. But what about in eternity?
1: No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. I don't know what all heaven will be like, but whatever all it will be like, it will be forever forever for eternity, and it will be satisfying, and we will be delivered, and it will go on and on and on and on.
0: Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. This week we come to the end of our summer series, Growing in the Garden. Over the last several weeks, Pastor Clay has taken us through passages in the Bible where we find a garden setting to see what we can learn and how we can grow as followers of Jesus Christ.
1: The final garden, it is man's opportunity to return to the garden, if you will. Not the same garden that Adam and Eve were driven out of because of their sin, but a garden nevertheless, a paradise.
0: Today we're going to Revelation chapter 22 to take a look at the new heaven and new earth. As we're going to hear, it's an amazing place where followers of Jesus will spend eternity. But even now we can look into that garden to grow as his followers in this life. Thanks for being with us today. Now here's Pastor Clay. I
1: I heard this story one time about this evangelist who was speaking at a church. He was preaching at a church. He stood up there and he was, gonna, he was talking on the subject of, of heaven, about heaven, about going to heaven. And as he stood there, the evangelist said, how many of you in here, in here tonight would like to go to heaven? And, and everybody raised their hand. Everybody in the place raised their hand except one little boy way up in the balcony. And the evangelists, you know, evangelists are never satisfied unless the altar is full, full. So, you know, he, so he says it again. He, says, he said, let, let, let me say this again. How many of you in here tonight would like to go to heaven? And again, everybody's hand shot up except the one little boy in the balcony. So the evangelist couldn't stand it. So he, he, he called him out. He says, son, he looked up in the balcony He said, son, he said, don't you want to go to heaven someday? And the little boy said, well, yes, sir. He says, I thought you was getting a load up for tonight. I think that's how uh, we tend to approach heaven. Everybody, or most everybody, I think, wants to go there, but nobody's looking to get on the bus out of town tonight. To the, you know what I'm saying? Nobody's necessarily looking, nobody's necessarily looking to go there uh, tonight. I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, I wonder if we thought about heaven more, would we find ourselves a little more anxious to get there? I don't, I, it was just, uh, it's just a thought. I got another story for you, a theologically incorrect story. Let me preface it by telling you this is theologically incorrect, this is not how it works. But a man died, and he found himself at the pearly gates, and just inside the pearly gates was St. Peter, and he asked St. Peter if he could come in. Maybe y'all have heard this story too. He asked St. Peter if he could come in, and St. Peter said, you may enter, but first you must spell a word. And the man said, Oh, geez. He said, I, I, I hope I can get in because I just tell you, Peter, I, I just never was very good at spelling. St. Peter said, Well, it's, it's all right. It's, a, it's an easy word. You, you have to spell love. And the man says, Oh, whew, I can do that. L O V E. And St. Peter said, That's right. Come on in. So the guy enters into the gates, and Peter says, Hey, listen, as long as you're right here, do you mind just minding the gate for me for just a minute? It's something I've got to go do. I'll be back in a few minutes. And So the man's standing there just having entered heaven, and it just so happens that his wife dies and appears at the gates, and uh, she asks if he can come in, and and the man says, well, well, Peter told me that we have to spell a word before we can get in, and the woman says, well, you got in, so it can't be very hard. What is it? The man says, you have to spell Czechoslovakia. It's not how it works, it's not how you get into heaven or keep someone out of heaven. But today, we come to the last message in our summer series, Growing in the Garden. And I have literally saved the best for last, because today we are talking about the new garden, if you will, the new heaven and the new earth, found in Revelation chapter 22. If you have a copy of God's Word, you can turn there, and I encourage you to do so. The text will be up on the screen as it is uh, each week, thanks to the marvels of technology and the skills of of Tyler and and, uh, Scott and everybody that makes all this stuff happen around here. Uh, This makes the magic go on and happen. Revelation chapter 22, as I said, the final garden. It is man's opportunity to return to the garden, if you will. Not the same garden that Adam and Eve were driven out of because of their sin, but a garden nevertheless, a paradise. Revelation chapter 22. I'm just reading six verses uh, this morning. Who in here today wants to go to heaven? (laughs) Did every hand go up? Uh, Revelation chapter 22. Listen. Then he showed me a river a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, And his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night. And they will not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun. Because the Lord God will illumine them. And they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And you pray with me this morning, Father God, in Jesus' name, I'm grateful for your word, which is truth without any mixture of error. It is, as the writer of Hebrews says, able to divide soul and spirit, even joint and marrow. I understand that to mean that it has its effect on our hearts and our lives in a powerful way. Bedsides as I'm praying with people. Remind them that you are the great physician. Uh, but God even in this setting as the great physician. Would you take your word. That is sharper than any two-edged sword. As a scalpel. And would you, would you cut out of our lives. Things that don't belong. Right now in this room. Or listening to this message. Odds are there's probably some things. That, that shouldn't be there. Maybe it's, maybe it's anger. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's loneliness or... God, I believe that your word has the power to to surgically remove those things from our lives. and To give us the life that you intend for us to have. So would you sow into our lives peace and joy and hope, assurance, confidence that you are a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And now, would you take this time, would you take the minds, the ears, the eyes... The spirits in this place and those who will listen or watch this message. And would you make application to our life for each person who is here. So that as I said a moment ago, Father, I pray that they would leave here saying, Alright, that's, that's good. I can do something with that in my life. God, have your way in each of us. Meet us where we are. Accomplish your purpose, purposes and take us to where you want us to be. Someday, that place where you want us to be is a place that we call heaven. We're talking about that some, we're reading about that some, even here in Revelation 22. Father, I would pray that every person in this room would have the full confidence that they would know for certain when this life ends, whenever it is for any of us, that they would know where they would spend that eternity. In your word you say, these things I have written that they may know that they have eternal life. I pray that people would know From, from, from this platform, from our very lives and voices as we have the opportunity to interact with people during the week, Lord God, may you take us and use us to share the message, the life-changing, eternal destiny-changing message of Jesus in his name. Each week we have started, uh, e- each each uh, idea or division statement we looked at has started with this idea. In the garden, we grow in our understanding that, and here's the first one today, eternal life comes from God. If you like to take notes, by the way, there's an outline on the back of your uh, information sheet. Don't have to, but if, you, if that helps you kind of stay focused and that sort of thing, please feel free to do so. But the first thing that we learn in this garden, growing in the garden, is that eternal life comes from God. The writer of the book of the Revelation is John. This is the same John who wrote the Gospel of John. The same John who wrote The letters tagged 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. This is the same John who identified himself in his gospel letter as the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is the same John who is the brother of James who are dramatically known as the Sons of Thunder. One of the greatest names ever given, I think, to two brothers. But by the time of the writing of this brother, James has been dead Many years. Because of his witness for Jesus Christ. As well as all of the other original disciples. They've all been put to death because of their witness for Jesus Christ. And only John is left at this point. At the writing of the book of Revelation. Only John is left. He's an old man now. At least in his 80's. Probably his 90's. And John has been exiled to the island of Patmos. Patmos is a tiny little windswept island out in the Aegean Sea, off the coast of Asia Minor. John was put there because of his witness for Jesus Christ. And he was put there so that he could be silenced. He was put there to shut him up about this whole Jesus thing. Because, after all, if you're on an island out in the middle, a tiny little island out in the middle of the sea, and you're cut off from everybody... But you see what the powers that be that put him there, what they did not understand, and listen to me, this is, this is good for us. What they did not understand is that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, listen to me, you that are struggling or some, something going on in your life right now, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're never cut off from God. You're never cut off from God. There is no place that you can find yourself in your life that God cannot meet you that cannot, God cannot minister to you, and that God cannot use you to accomplish kingdom purposes. And while John is on this tiny little island of Patmos, way out in the sea, God gives John a vision... Of what will take place at the end of time. God gives John a vision of all of it. How it will take place. And particularly here in chapter 22. Of, of the new heaven and the new earth. He gives John this vision of what is to come. And that vision that God gave to John. Has been encouraging and giving people hope. For 2,000 years. Let me just pause here to say to you. That. That. Where you find yourself in life, where you find yourself in struggles and difficulties or something going on in your life, some hardship, some trial. We're gonna talk some more about that in a few minutes. But can I say this to you? you? You may feel, you may be in some place in your life where you feel completely alone. Even when you're surrounded by people, you can still feel completely alone. I'm saying to you today, you're never alone if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's your desire to live as God would have you to live and live according to his will, there is no place that God cannot reach you, that he cannot use you and minister to you and meet the needs that you have in your life, okay? Can I just say that to you today for whatever's going on in your life? But in Revelation chapter 22, the, the rapture has occurred. By the way, if you don't believe in the snatching out of the church prior to the tribulation period, it's okay. I think you still get to go. I think you still get to go. But the, the, the snatching out of the church has taken place, the, the seals have been broken, the bowls have been poured out, the Antichrist has been defeated, and Satan and, and those who have sided with him have been thrown into the lake of fire, not because God wanted it that way. I understand there's mystery when we talk about the sovereignty of God and his eternal purposes and plans and the free will of man, but not because God wanted it that way, but because Satan and because men and women throughout history have chosen to rebel against God. To choose another path, another way, another life, another just whatever. Can can I just can I just remind you Not because God wanted it, but because men and women choose. Can I just remind you of the heart of God? Chapter 33, as surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. But all of that having transpired, and now comes... This, this revelation, this unveiling of this new heaven and this new earth, this new garden, if you will. God had, had driven Adam and Eve out of the garden because of their sin, and now it's time for man to come back into the garden. Not the same garden, I, said, I think I said that a moment ago, but, but a new garden. A better garden, you could say, because it, this will be an eternal garden, an eternal paradise. Whatever all it will be. And, and listen, nobody understands everything of what heaven and eternity and all that will be. But whatever all it will be, this is it. And, and But what I want to emphasize here in this opening verse is that John says that this water of the river of life. Notice where the water from the river of life is flowing from. It is flowing from, the text says, the throne of God and of the Lamb. Is that not what it says? From the throne of God and of the Lamb. Ladies and gentlemen, this is... The critical truth that you and I, before we move on, that we have to hang our hats on. is this understanding that eternal life comes from God. And it only comes from God. And we talked about this a little bit last week when we were in the Garden of Gethsemane. But it is something that needs to be talked about a lot because it is so critical to our understanding of what brings eternal life. And it is so criticized in the pluralistic culture in which we live today. How How dare you say that your way is the only way? How dare you claim that your God is the only God? For the record, A, it's not my way, it's God's way. B, it's not my claim, it's God's claim. John uh, chapter 3 verse uh, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him... Would not perish, but have everlasting life. Uh, ver- a verse we looked at again last week, John 14, the 6. I am the way, Jesus speaking. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That sounds very exclusive. You just can't wiggle around it. You can't, yeah, but maybe he... In the Greek, it means just that. Okay? No one comes to the Father but through me. And then uh, 1 John chapter uh, 5 He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. I'm here to tell you that eternal life comes only through Jehovah God, the God revealed in Scripture. Not because I say so, but because God says so. Years ago, I I had a conversation with a guy named Shokat. Shokat, Shokat. I I think I remember the story because his name was so unusual. Shokat was from Pakistan. Pakistan. And I don't even remember how I was in a, where I met him or how I was in a conversation with him, but I remember I got in this conversation with this guy named Shokat. And in the course of the conversation, it led into an opportunity just to talk with him about God's love. And, the, and, and I told Shokat that God loved him and God had, God had purposes and plans uh, for his life. And Shokat seemed kind of responsive to that. And so I, I proceeded to tell uh, Shokat that, uh, that God had provided a way for that relationship to take place uh, through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. He, he was very energetic, he was very smiling, he was receiving what I see, he was nodding his head, and so I took the opportunity to say, Shokat, has anyone ever shared with you how you can place your faith in Jesus Christ and how you can have a relationship with God the Father for all of eternity? And Shokat looked at me, smiling, big grin, and he, and he, and he informed me that he that he already believes in Jesus, or Isa as he would be referred to in his uh, native uh, land. That he already believed in it, And I thought, well, that's great news. But I have talked to enough people, maybe you have too, I've talked to enough people through the years to know that just because a person says they believe in Jesus does not necessarily mean that they have a saving faith in Jesus Christ. They're not necessarily the same thing. And so I proceeded to to uh, ask Shokat when he came to know Jesus Christ as his personal Savior, he kind of smiled and, and basically just kind of brushed over my question, and then he said, I, "I believe in Jesus. I believe in Muhammad. I believe in Buddha." And, and by the time he finished, it was pretty obvious that Shokat basically believed in everybody and everything. He he believed in all uh, religions. And that, that is a great message for the culture in which we live because it's, it sounds so judgmental. It, it so, sounds so open-minded to think, well, and, and, and I agree it does. I, I'm just saying that eventually a person has to come to believe what they're going to come to believe. God says, it comes through the sacrifice of my son Jesus. Christ. Not through your good works, not through your believing in this or you're doing that or giving money or counting beads or, or whatever else. It comes through this relationship, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Okay, eternal life comes from who? That's right, it comes comes from God through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. All right, here we go. In the garden, we grow in our understanding that satisfying life comes from God. Satisfying, can y'all say the word satisfying? Satisfying, This is satisfying to say that, isn't it? Satisfying, satisfying life comes from God. Look at verse two, now listen. In the middle of its streets, on either side of the river was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit every month and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations john sees this picture uh, uh, with this river of the of the water of life and then he sees this this tree with these 12 Kinds of fruit bearing its 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 fruit each month. The, the picture is a, a, a picture of abundance, apparently in both uh, volume and variety. It is a picture of of satisfaction. You know, one of the interesting things about heaven is, as best I can discern from Scripture and based on what we know about Jesus when he when when his resur- when he appeared in his resurrected body, we will not need to consume food in heaven. We will not need to eat, if I understand scripture correctly, in this in this new resurrected body. Whatever all that means and whatever all that looks like, we will not need to consume food. But we apparently will be able to purely for the purely for the satisfaction of it. Our lives in a state of complete, total, absolute satisfaction. Listen, can I tell you this? That God created us for this very reason and that was stolen from man in the garden. Someday God's going to restore that so that you and I can live in the the existence of absolute satisfaction in our lives. Bible commentator John Walvoord says that the leaves of the trees promote the enjoyment or they picture the, the, the enjoyment of life in the new Jerusalem, in this new heaven and this new earth complete and total satisfaction i have never claimed to be a fish expert but i have read i've heard and i have read that a fish if you give it food it will never stop eating have y'all heard that y'all have fish y'all know that to be true food a fish will eat it a fish will never stop eating as long as there's food there a fish will literally eat itself to death if there's food there and i was thinking you know what that's kind of like the way a lot of people live their lives. Not, not so much with food, maybe. <laughs> but with just, with just for satisfaction. In this or that, if, 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 if we had this, or if I got to this place, or if I got that job, or if I made this much, or if I, you know, I had this person, or, or what It's, it's, it's always, it's, it's willing to pay whatever they have to pay. It's, it's willing to do whatever they have to do in, in search and in hope of being satisfied Which, once they get it, it never really mm, lasts for very long. You know what I'm saying? When you absolutely will not want anything. Uh, I came that they may have life and have it. Say that word. Abundantly. Say it again. Abundantly. I came that they may have life and they may have it abundantly. In my not New York Times best-selling book, if you have read it, you know that John 10.10 is basically what this entire book is built upon. Is this understanding of what it means to have abundant life. Because it has been my experience through the years, both just as a a regular postal employee guy, after I came to Jesus, and as a pastor. It's been my experience that most people live their lives not in abundance. And by that I mean most people live their lives, even people that would claim to be followers of Jesus... And so it always perplexed me that why would Jesus say, I've come to give you life and give it to you more abundantly, to the full, some translations say. Why why would he say that and then so many people's lives seem to be missing so much in their lives? That's not what Jesus said that he desires to give uh, to us in in, uh, John uh, 14. Jesus says, But the helper will teach you everything and will cause you to remember all that I told you. This helper is the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name. This is when Jesus is getting ready to go back to heaven, right? He says, I, I leave you peace. And then what's this? He says, My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world does. So don't let your heart be troubled or afraid. I've said this before. Some of you heard me say this. All of us know how the world gives peace, right? The world's definition of peace is my bills are paid, I'm enjoying my job, my kids are behaving, uh, my teeth are all straight. uh, uh, Whatever, fill in the blank. Whatever it is that you can think of, if, if all of my circumstances are lining up right, then that that is the world's conception of peace, right? What's the elephant in the room? What's the what's the obvious problem with that? It never happens. In this world, right? It's never, my, it's never a perfect situation where my job is perfect and the kids are perfect and my teeth are perfect and, and, and the, you know it, it just doesn't line up that way. So Jesus said, I don't give you peace like that. I give you something that's not based on your circumstances but it's based on the Spirit of God that I'm gonna send to dwell in you. Have you experienced that? Do you know what that's like in your life? Even as you sit here and you say, well, I, I, I've given my life to Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus. Do you experience that peace? In your life on a continual basis. Satisfied life. Listen. Think about this for just a second. Then we'll move on. Think about it. I said this two or three times now. But think about it. A life. An existence. Where you absolutely want for nothing. Now even in saying that. It's hard for us to think about that. Because we've never. Never really experienced that. Not for. Certainly not for very long. Right? Because we, we need a new shirt, or we think we need a new shirt, or uh, uh, an, uh, another job, or a, a new uh, car, or um, something else to eat, or we have these cravings in life, right? We have these desires, we have these things that we want. Now, listen to me. Having those in themselves are not wrong, right? They're not wrong, right? It's not, we have those, and it's a desire to say, man, I, I really, could, I, I love that, that, uh, Dress. I mean, I wouldn't say a woman. I love that dress, and I and I and I'd like to have it. It's not, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with, with. There's nothing wrong with getting a new car, maybe a Corvette or something. I don't know, something something like that that you want to get. I'm just saying, there's nothing wrong with that, within reason. Within you know what what is biblically, you know, I'm not I'm not extending my. You know, what I'm saying, it's not that the desires in themselves necessarily are bad, right? But we have them. So imagine a day when you absolutely will want, for, there's, there's just, there will simply be nothing that you will want. That is the satisfied life. Now that is not to say, before we move on, that is not to say that I can't have a satisfied life in this life to the degree that we can within human limitations. But there is a day coming, John's writing about here, there's a day coming when forever and ever our lives will be completely, totally and absolutely satisfied and we will want Or nothing (laughs) to tell you i think that sounds awesome all right here we go uh what are we going third idea in the garden we grow in our understanding that delivered life comes from god and listen we're just looking at we're just walking through the text look what the text says look what john is laying out here delivered life comes from god look at the first part of verse three what does he say there will no longer be any what's that next word Curse. curse There will no longer be any curse, meaning the sin curse and the, the consequences and the results of the sin curse. All of that, in the first division statement, uh, we, we said that eternal life comes from God. And that reveals to us that, that through God and through the sacrifice of Christ, we're delivered from the penalty. Listen to me. We're delivered from the penalty and the power of God through the sacrifice of Christ. But here, now in verse 3, we find out not only are we delivered from the penalty and the power of sin, someday, ladies and gentlemen, you and I are going to be delivered from the very presence of sin. To never be in the presence of sin forever again. To be delivered, that is hard for us to think about because that's not the world we live in, is it? Every day, injustice. Every day, injustice. Mistreatment, every day, murder, death, suicide, every day, day in and day out, day in and day out, every day somewhere in the world, but someday with God in a POW camp. uh, Gaither was a uh, a naval pilot shot down in Vietnam, and he spent seven years in a North Vietnamese uh, prisoner of war camp. In the book, Gaither tells about every, basically every day for seven years, they were beaten, and tortured, and starved, and abused by their captors. Every day. The day came when the war was over. The day came when they were delivered from all that. Now, I, I, I can't. We, I, unless you have been in some type of experience like that, there's no way we can possibly begin to, to surmise what that would be like after seven years of enduring all of that, to suddenly be set free from every bit of it. What would that feel like? The prophet Zechariah, in Zechariah chapter 14, uh, says people will live in it, and there will no longer be a curse, for Jerusalem will dwell in security. Again, this is something we can't, it's difficult for us to get our minds around, because we've we've never experienced anything like that. From all the stuff, not just the, the stuff that I listed, but all the stuff. That goes on in our life. Delivered from, delivered from strokes. And the results of that. Right Peggy? Delivered from cancer diagnosis. And the, the uncertainty of the diagnosis. To be delivered from every bit of it. Someday. You know it's an interesting thing. Gaither in his book said that in, in the POW compound. There were these ducks. And he said the ducks could fly away. He said they could fly. He said but for some reason they wouldn't. And he said that however often they did it, I guess when they, each day or whatever, he, he said they would, the, the ducks would just stand there and let the guards walk up and, and hit them in the head with a brick and kill them. And, and, I, and I remember thinking, keep all of this junk in life and the consequences of it, but I'm here to tell you that someday you and I are going to fly away. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're going to fly away. Away from all of this sin curse, the sin curse, John says, is removed. Uh, number four, in the garden we grow in our understanding that purposeful life comes from God. Not just delivered life, purposeful life. I read the first part of verse three, the second part. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his bond servants will... Well, that doesn't sound like fun. That's because you're looking from an earthly perspective. It's going to be a lot of fun in heaven. Whatever all it means to serve God in heaven it won't mean fanning him with palm fronds and feeding him grapes it's not what that's not that's not this god okay but it shouldn't surprise us to discover that life is purposeful that we have purpose that we have purpose in this life god created us for purpose you may remember uh, when we were back in the garden of gethsemane uh, or i'm sorry back in the garden of eden uh, adam was created adam and eve were created with purpose i mean before the fall they were they, what were they doing they were to tend and to keep the garden to I don't know what to add more flowers, uh, whatever all that meant, but but there was an intentionality, there was a purpose to their lives. You and I are created for purpose. Whatever all this means, I can tell you what it what what it what one of the things that it means is that won't be any pew warming ministry in heaven. Well, I'll I'll be I'll take the pew warming ministry. (laughs) Won't be any of that in heaven. You and I will have purpose. We'll have meaning. Perhaps much as the way Adam and Eve had purpose in, in the original garden, perhaps part of that is what it means for us to, to have purpose and meaning in eternity. I don't know what all it means, but I do know that what he says is that you and I will will serve the Lord God by fulfilling the purpose for which we were created. Can I tell you, that's just an exciting thought for me. Some of you have heard me tell the story, I'll just say it real quick. Uh, before I went into ministry, uh, I was... Postal employee, I worked in a post office in Florida, and not long after i 'd given my life to Jesus Christ and I was reading god 's word and I was trying to grow and I, you know all this kind of stuff and uh, and, and i didn 't like my job and, and that 's generally indicative of a lot of people who work in the post office it's, it could, it, there's just a lot of pressure that you, believe it or not, and a lot of stuff and all this and it was you know so it wasn 't fun i, did, I didn 't really enjoy my job y'all probably all enjoy your jobs you probably all just love them but but I didn't enjoy my job. But I was reading God's word, and I was just, you know, like I said, I'm trying to grow. And, I'm, and somehow, I don't even remember what I was reading, but I came to this revelation one day that that my job was not at the post office. That I, I didn't work, some of you have heard me say, I didn't work, I've suddenly realized that I didn't work for the United States Postal Service. I served the Lord God Almighty. The postal service, I came to understand, the postal service was simply the the, the field through in which I could minister and the means through which God made financial provision for my family but that's not who I worked for I worked for the Lord God Almighty and I'm telling you listen I'm telling you when I when I when I'm a little bit slower than probably most y'all but when that sunk into my head it revolutionized the way I approached my work totally changed the way I I, I went to work I used to go dragging in them big double doors and walking in now I just came bouncing in man excited couldn't wait to see what God had in store for me today some days God had in store for me sorting a lot of letters putting in cases Throwing a lot of y'all's packages over in them different bins, greeting angry customers at the window because their grandma's china bowl got busted in transportation, probably because somebody was throwing their package over into the bin. <laughs> but I'm telling you, it, cha- it just it revolutionized the way I approached my work because every day I, I literally every day I train myself to get up and think. God, I'm going to work for you today. You use me however you see at at the United States Postal Service in Okeechobee, Florida. God, I may not know what you're going to do today, but I'm available. Use me to minister to people, to to demonstrate the love of Christ, whatever you want to do. It changed the way I approached it. And I'm telling you, that's for this life, but there's a day coming when we'll have purpose for all of eternity. You know, uh, Jesus came with purpose. He didn't just come to hang out with us because he had nothing better to do. He tells us that in Matthew chapter 20, just as Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And how does he do that? To give his life a ransom for many. I'm glad I'm one of the many. Are you? Uh, Jesus goes on to say in uh, Luke uh, chapter 22, he's trying to teach his disciples this principle. He says, for who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Well, obviously the guy that reclines at the table, right? I mean, that's, that's the more important person. And what does the Son of God, the creator of the universe, say? It says, is it not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves. It's a very humbling thing to say, you know what? I'm here to serve. Can I tell you that? T- next year we'll celebrate 10 years of cross-culture church and whatever all it has become and whatever we, all we have done. But it was founded on the principle, on that very principle right there. That that we would try and be a group of people who didn't, who didn't care about getting the, the credit or didn't care about whether they didn't get their chair. It was going to be about serving others. In fulfillment of what Jesus said, for anyone who would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross daily. It's hard to die every day, isn't it? And follow me. Just before the Garden of Gethsemane, which we looked at for the last two weeks, just before the Lord's Supper that evening, we know from uh, from the book of John, John tells us that Jesus took a, a, a water pitcher and a basin and a towel and he washed the disciples' feet. Maybe you're familiar with that story. Maybe you've heard it said, and it's true, that in, in the house, whatever the hierarchy of servants were, the lowest of the low would be the ones that would wash feet. And here is Jesus. So you can imagine, you can, you can kind of understand why Peter would say, whoa, you're not washing my feet, because the very idea that the one they're following would, would bend down, stoop down, and take a towel and, and begin to wash their feet, was, it was inconceivable to them, but it's exactly what God was trying to teach them. Uh, Jesus says in that in that whole area of washing the feet in John chapter 13. When he finishes, he says, For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Whether you wash feet or... In that culture, it was a very important thing. But the point is, is that it's humbling yourselves and say, You know what? Ed's more important than I am. Matthew's more important than I am. Ernie's more important than I am. Cindy's more important than I... It's about thinking of it that way and approaching that way and be willing to say... God, what can I do? That's in this life, and he says that there's this life coming. There's this time coming when you and I will have purpose and will fulfill that purpose for all of eternity. Nobody, think about this, no kid in heaven will ever say, I'm bored. In the garden, we grow in our understanding that victorious, i got to get to this, victorious life comes from God. All those other things, yep, and then we finish with this one, victorious life comes from God. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. They will no longer be any night. They will not have need of the light of the lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservant, meaning John, the things which must soon take place. Soon, by the way, obviously is a relative term. We can look at it and say, well, it's been 2,000 years, but... What is that to God? Now, I, I, am, I am of the very firm conviction that, that soon, from our perspective, is very soon. I am of the perspective that this thing is winding up. There is so much happening in the world so rapidly that I'm just, That's just my conviction. I think this thing, I could be wrong. If you're still here 70 years from now, you can say, Well, that, that guy that stood up there, he was crazy, man. But I am just of the conviction, that, now I don't know what that means, three months now, three years now, 30. I don't know, but I'm just telling you, this thing's, this thing's winding down. May, uh, May 8th, I think it was, uh, 1945, accepted unconditional surrender from the Germans in World War II. Became known as V.E. Day, Victory in Europe Day. Listen, I, I, like I said, I don't know when these events are going to take place, but we, we're going to call this V.E.E. Day. V.E.E. Day. Victory over everything for eternity. That's what this is. It's victory, and we, we we've arrived. That's what we've come to that place. Now I want you to see. First off, some some what it means that for all of eternity we will we will enjoy. Let's start with this one. His presence. What what does he say? They will see his face, and his name will be on the forehead. Meaning, meaning this close connected. This really, they will see his face. Listen, we have. We have talked about him. We've read about him. We've sung the songs. But to think about, James, to think about to literally be face to face with Jesus Christ, the one who loved me so much that he'd rather die than live without me. I love to say that to people all the time because it's true. Maybe there'll be a little bit of embarrassment on our part. And you're like, oh, he's... I didn't realize that was going to happen today. <laughs> but to be in his presence. I should have uh, had Cindy uh, come up here and sing this, but some of y'all... Some of us old school churchers. <laughs> we're not old, we're, we're old school, we're not We're not old. Well, y'all remember the old uh, Sandy Patty song? We shall behold him. Y'all remember that? We shall behold him face to face in all of his glory. Y'all never heard that one. Hmm. How about the old, y'all heard the old hymn? Yeah, I know y'all heard this one. What a day that will be, when my Jesus I will see. Y'all remember it? Sing it, if you know it. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. Then he'll take me by the hand and lead me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day, that will be. Some of y'all don't know that one either, huh? That's okay. I like a mix of, of uh, young and old and, and not knowing. We, I know we don't do a lot of those songs. Anymore. <clears throat> How about, his? one a little bit newer. How about, I can only imagine. Y'all remember that one? Surrounded by his glory. What will my heart feel? Is that what it says? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. Here's another one. To not only be in his presence, but also uh, to enjoy his brilliance. John says, that darkness is gone. <laughs> darkness is gone. He said, there'll be no need for a lamp, he said, or even the light of the sun. Why? What does John say there in the text? John says, the Lord shall illumine them. That would have been a good place to say amen. The Lord will illumine them, the, the very glory of God shining in, in, in whatever all that means, ladies and gentlemen, but to be in his presence and to enjoy, listen, darkness, throughout history, darkness has been the playground of wickedness and evil. We know it's the place where the most unrighteousness goes on. It's under the cover of darkness. Darkness is the place where, where, where we can be in a house in the daytime and be perfectly fine. But when night comes, suddenly it's a little eerie. It's a little, what was that sound? It's a little, that, that's darkness. And John says there's coming a day when all of that will be gone. All of that will be gone. And he shall reign, John says, and they will reign forever and ever. Forever and ever. Endeavor. John seems to be referring to uh, our dominion, our, our uh, reign in this world. God, perhaps much as Adam and Eve, as I said earlier, had uh, in, the, uh, in the original Garden of Eden. But it's all made possible because God does, shall, and forever reign. It is, it is His permanence, to be in His permanence. I don't know, as I've said this before, I don't know what all heaven will be like. I can assure you it will not be just floating around on a cloud and strumming a harp. But whatever all it will be like, it will be forever, for eternity. And it will be satisfying and we will be delivered and it will be all of those things that we talked about there and it will go on and on and on and on. I don't know what all it will be like, but I do know this. I know that the Apostle Paul... Uh, writing to the church in Corinth about that subject, uh, said said this in First Corinthians two. That is what the scriptures mean when they say no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. And Paul said, you, "You listen. You can't even imagine what it's going to be like. That's the eternal garden that's waiting for you." Let me say this. I know I got to close. Let me close that. That'll make me close. I've said this many times. But I've read the back of the book, and we win. And John is describing what God showed to him, what we would experience in all of eternity. All of eternity. How do you begin to put that in perspective? I came across a story that I thought, well, maybe at least put some sort of semblance of of context on eternity. I think Chuck Swindoll is the one that tells this story. Swindoll says, imagine a steel ball. The, the size of the earth, a solid steel ball, 25,000 miles in diameter. And every one million years, one tiny sparrow comes and lands on that solid steel ball to sharpen its beak, and then flies away. Only to return again a million years later, and do the same thing. So, Dahl says, by the time that sparrow would have whittled that steel ball down the size of the earth, whittled it down to the size of a BB. Eternity will have just begun.
0: Wow, what an amazing place we will enjoy for all of eternity. John's description of our eternal home is one that brings us comfort in this life and hope for the next. Right now, we may have to live in a world under the sin curse, but praise God the day is coming when all of this will be gone and we will be in the presence of our Savior forever. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere to celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about a relationship. A community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person, real people who truly care, solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens, and the most energetic, fun, and safe kids program around. Find out more at crossculture.church. Oh. Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.